read verses 3 through 13 again. We just need to get them in front of us, and then we'll start our journey through beginning with the beauty of Moses' words. Father, thank you for this beautiful day, and thank you for the great food that uh, we have eaten. Use it to strengthen and nourish our bodies. Thank you for the sweet fellowship that you've uh, allowed us to have around the table. And now we, uh, as we dig into Genesis, I pray that you'll bless us, speak to us, guide us. And I pray that uh, when we leave today, we'll all be able to say that it's been a blessing to be here. We just thank you for your presence and for the joy of knowing you and loving you and serving you. Thank you for giving us such a beautiful day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, verse 3 of chapter 1. Uh, here we go again. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the, heaven, from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry, land, dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. So that will be as far as we get today, if we get that far. So let's... Let's think about the uh, beauty of Moses' word. Let me just repeat a couple of things I said last time, and then I'll point you to a little scribbling that I put on the on the whiteboard. Um, Moses, frankly, Moses' words are majestic. They're just absolutely majestic as you read these these verses. First of all, let's look at the arrangement uh, of the verses. The six days of creation are equally divided. First, there are day, the, the first three days are the forming of the earth. And then the last three days are the filling of the earth. So you've got those two divisions, forming and filling. The two sets of days fix or repair, if you want to call it that, the opening statement of the earth was without form and void. So that is fixed, we, we would say in Texas. We fixed it. He fixed it. Other places they might say he repaired it, uh, but we would say he fixed it. Now, the formlessness is remedied in days 1, 2, and 3, and the emptiness is remedied in days 4, 5, and 6. There's also a correspondence between days 1, 2, and 3 and days 4, 5, and 6. When I talk about a correspondence, I don't mean that they wrote each other, but what I mean is what's on the board. So let's um, let's look there. I hope everybody can see it. I, I can't get it any closer to you, so if you're way back in the back, I hope you're able to see it. But uh, there's day one, two, three, day four, five, six. The first three days are days of forming. The last three days are days, next three days are days of filling. So in day one, the form is light. It corresponds, remember I said there was a correspondence, it corresponds to day four where he puts the lights in the sky. 
Okay? Day two, he forms the sky and the waters. It corresponds to day five, where he creates the birds and the fish. Okay? Then day three, he forms the land and the plants on the land. And it corresponds to day six, where he creates animals and man. And the plants are food. It gives food and plants for, for man and for the animals. So there is that correspondence between the first three days and uh, the last three days, or the next three days. It's really a beautiful balance. So what I'm wanting us to do here is not just talk about what God did, but the beauty of the way in which the Scripture is written is just absolutely magnificent. There's a beautiful balance. There's a perfection in the words that, uh, that Moses writes. It's just like the earth is perfect and flawless, so the written word is perfect and flawless. And notice what happens. We have six days of labor and one day in which God said, I'm going to enjoy what I've done. One day to enjoy what he has created. Now, let me, uh, did you get this on the board? Because I'm about to erase it because we got other stuff to put up there today. Everybody okay with that? Not yet. Okay. Um, I can I could do a soft shoe, or I could do a tell a story, or a joke. I'm not good at jokes, as you well know. So, um, yeah. How close are we to being done? Pretty close. Pretty close. I, I tell you what. I'll leave it up. Let me see where I can squeeze this in. Um, Here's what I'll do. I'll erase the days over here. You got this, days one, two, and three. Okay? You've got that. So I'll erase that so I can put some words over here. So, um, first word that I want to put over here is God. And remember, when we talked about the word God, the Hebrew word Elohim. Okay? God, Elohim. What I'm really doing is I'm writing the words for the three nouns that are in verse 1. That's what I'm doing. Second noun is heaven. Okay? And the Hebrew word for that is samayim. S-A-M-A-Y-I-M. Samayim. Okay? Third word, earth. And the Hebrew is Eretz, E-R-E-T-Z. That, obviously, that's English. That's not Hebrew alphabet, but that's translating it into English. Um, maybe if you've ever <clears throat> looked at a map of uh, the Middle East or a map of Israel that is written in Hebrew, um, you would have noticed that likely on the on the Israel, where we would write, like on Texas, the word Texas is written across the state. In Israel, they would put Eretz Israel, meaning the land of Israel. Eretz means earth or land, the land of Israel. Often you will hear Hebrew Jewish people, people who live over there, they'll talk about Eretz Israel. We don't we don't say the land of the United States. We just say the United States or, or Texas. We don't say 
we are in the land of Texas. Well, of course we are, but we don't say it that way. But they do. They say, Eretz Israel, the land of Israel. So literally here, the first three nouns in verse 1 are God, Elohim, heaven, Samayim, and earth, Eretz. Okay, now, here, what I want you to see now is the beauty of the way that Moses writes the narrative of the creation story. It's, it's really amazing. Um, God, Elohim, heaven, Samayim, and earth, Eretz, the three nouns of verse 1 are repeated in the creation account, chapter 1, part of chapter 2. Those three nouns are repeated in multiples of seven. Okay? The number seven up there in multiples of seven. That's not an accident. Now don't don't go and try to start counting the words. Remember, you're you're looking at English. But in the Hebrew, these three words appear in multiples of seven. So the word God appears thirty-five times, and that is seven times what? Seven times five is thirty-five. Okay. The word heaven appears twenty-one times, just seven times three. Earth appears twenty-one times, which is seven times three. Now, presenting the picture of the symmetry and the beauty with which Moses wrote these words. Now, in addition to that, in Hebrew. The first verse, back at verse 1, the first verse in Hebrew, not in English, but in Hebrew, has seven words. The second verse has 14 words. And the seventh paragraph, which is the seventh day, has three sentences, each with seven words, and right in the middle are the words, the seventh day. So, what, I'm, what I want, I don't expect you to remember all this, or even write it all down. I, in fact, you just put your pens down. That, you don't even need to worry with this. But what I'm trying to help us all to remember is the incredible, stunning beauty of the narrative that Moses writes in the, the creation story. Moses did not sit down under a tree, sitting on a rock, and quickly pin out the story of creation. Led by the Spirit, this is well-crafted, well-thought-out prose narrative that he is writing for the children of the Exodus so they will understand, so they'll be able to answer the question, where did we come from? And how did we get here? And how did this get here? Pointing at a mountain or the ocean or whatever they might have pointed at. And Moses is, in this narrative, answering the question in about as beautiful a language as, as it, it could ever be, ever be penned. There is a, there's a numerical symmetry, perfection, beauty, and unity to the story. Now let's think about the word history for a moment. 
Think about the word history. Having said all that about the beauty, the way that Moses wrote, the beautiful symmetry and the, and, and the unity, having said all that, it is still not poetry. It is narrative. It is written history. Moses is writing what actually happened. And all the Bible authors see it that way. For instance, Moses himself, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, wrote, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. He writes history. He believes that what he is writing is actual history, the narrative. Now, he's not the only biblical writer. I could point to others, but let me uh, say, let's look at Isaiah. In the 40th chapter in the 26th verse, Isaiah said, Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Not one star is missing in action. Now, so Isaiah is writing, he understands the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and particularly the story of creation, is history. And that's the way he sees it, and that's the way he writes about it. My favorite prophet, well, I don't know if he's really my favorite, but one of my favorites, Jonah, because I have a story not unlike his of uh, running away from the Lord. I digress. Jonah 1.9, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah is saying and writing, this is history. Now, let's take a look at a couple of New Testament passages. Hebrews chapter uh, 11, verse 3, by faith... We understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. But, of course, God created from nothing. One more revelation. Hebrews, by the way, the author of Hebrews, whoever he may have been, uh, believed that this is history. Revelation 4.11 You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. John is looking where? Where is John looking when he writes that? Where is the vision? He is looking, he's given a vision of heaven. He's looking at at, at the 24 elders before the throne, and they are saying... Thank you for the myth of the creation. They are saying, you did it, and you did it just like it's written, and we give you glory and honor for what you did. That's, that's what they're saying. So, Genesis 1 is exalted, carefully structured and worded narrative prose. It is history. It's not meant to be an exhaustive account. 
I mean, we don't get a billion years of detail. We get one page. And it isn't a photograph, but it's a broad stroke painting of what happened when God created the heavens and the earth, and it's a very ordered sequence. So if you don't remember anything else when you leave today, and that may very well be the case, please remember this. It was awesome, and it is awesome the way that Moses wrote it. Okay? Now, here's an important thing. How did Moses' hearers, the children of the Exodus, how did they hear and understand this story? Because we understand, and we've already discussed this, I'm not going to go back and visit it again, but that Moses is the author of the Pentateuch. He writes this story. And how did the children of the Exodus, the children of Israel, how did they understand it when they were listening to Moses tell the story and and write about the story? Well, they didn't see it as myth, that's for sure. Uh, This is an account of creation, and it also doubles as an attack on the pagan mythology of the surrounding nations. Because as we go through the story, Moses just destroys the pagan gods one by one without ever saying anything about them. But you just, in, in the beautiful historic way in which he writes, he destroys them. The passage... In the Hebrew tense, I'm not a Hebrew expert, but I did try to look up some detail. The, the, the passage in the Hebrew tense that we have in front of us is the tense of narrative history. It's the way it's written. There's a name for it, Vaikatal, I think. Vaikatal. You wouldn't know if I got that right or wrong, would you? So I'm, not, I'm okay. Okay. I don't know if I got it right or wrong either. So let me ask this. Could the listeners have understood or heard the word days as geological ages? No. Could they have heard it as six 24-hour days? Perhaps Or would they have heard it as six of God's work days? Remember, we talked about all the interpretations that are all conservative, Bible-believing ways of looking at the term day. And and one of those was six 24-hour solar days. The other was six of God's work days, which may not be identical to our days, but analogous to it. Well... I think that is likely the correct way in which the children of the Exodus heard what Moses was relating. The six days, and i got a couple of reasons for that. Here's one of them. The six days are not solar days, but God's days, because the first three days couldn't have been solar because God didn't make the sun and the moon until day four. So, that sort of makes sense. And the seventh day has no end yet. The phrase, there was evening and there was morning, does not appear with day seven. I'll say some more about that in a minute. Not too much, but some more in a minute. I'll give you some verses to look at. Now, the the word yom, Y-O-M, the way we would say it in English, yom is the word day in Hebrew. That's the word day. When you hear a Jew say, I'm celebrating Yom Kippur, what is he saying? I'm celebrating the Day of Atonement. 
Yom Kippur. So next time your Jewish friend says that, oh yes, I know what that means. And he'll be very impressed that, that you know what he's talking about. The word Yom in the scripture appears, I don't know how many times, probably in excess of a thousand times in the scripture. Um, and it can mean several different things. It can mean 24-hour solar day. But it can have other meanings. So when a word has several possible meanings, you really have to let the context help you understand what it might mean in that particular instance. So here in this context, the seventh day is not a 24-hour day because it hadn't ended yet. But if it is not a 24-hour day, solar day, then the preceding six days can also be similarly interpreted. Now, where did this idea of the seventh day not being over yet come from? It comes from the Bible. God has been in the seventh day since creation, since the seventh day. According to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 3 through 11, go read it on your own. I'm not going to expound that today. But Hebrews 4, 3 through 11, and Psalm 95, 11... According to those texts, God is still in the Sabbath day rest. Okay. Now, whether you interpret it to be seven days being God's work day, whatever duration that may have been, or if you see it as seven solar days, that's okay either way. What we all conclude together is it is absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. And there's a beauty and a symmetry that Moses employs to write that just staggers our imagination. Now, um, let's look at day one in your outline. Day one. The formless world covered with the primeval sea, talked about that last week, was floating in space like an unformed lump of clay on the potter's wheel, And the Spirit of God was doing what? Do you remember? How many of you can remember? Hovering, fluttering, like the same word that's used of a bird, a mother bird fluttering over the nest. The Spirit of God was hovering or fluttering over the dark water in anticipation of what was about to take place. Let's think about His Word for a moment. God's Word. His only tool... For forming the earth is His Word. doesn't say God took a shovel, God took an axe, God took a spade, a hoe, hammer and nails. Nope. All He needed was what? His Word. He reveals His will by His Word. His speech. He did that then and He does that now. The vast universe was shaped by His thought and His will. Every molecule, every atom in our bodies, every blade of grass, every mountain rock, all created by His Word. Now, we have entered territory where my peanut brain blows a gasket and says, I can't get my arms around that. It is staggering. You know, I've... 
uh, you've probably heard me say this, probably don't even want to hear me say it again, but I've said several times in my years here, I'm hoping for an instant replay in heaven of some events. Creation, right at the top of the list. I'd love to see how God did it. Now, I don't know how long it took, how long God's work days were, so we might say maybe a synopsis video, but whatever, I would love to see it. Can you imagine? He just speaks, and there it goes. He does it all with ease. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I'm not very, I'm not very good with my hands. <clears throat> I, I try, but I'm not very good with my hands. And Sharon generally discourages me from too many home projects because they don't always turn out very well. I marvel at those who are good with their hands, and some of you are. Some of you may not have, your, your job may not have been a master carpenter, but you really are. You can do things that are utterly amazing, and I just love seeing you work in the product of your hands. It's just, it's just amazing. And some of you do things I could never do, and you do it with such ease, it's almost like you're not putting forth all that much effort. Well, just think of the ease with which God created this universe. Light, verses 3 through 5. For the first three days, light shone from a source other than the sun. The Bible begins with light, but no sun. And it ends the same way. You remember that? Remember Revelation? Revelation 22, 5. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Amazing, isn't it? So the light that we read about in these verses came from God Himself. Whatever form it may have taken. He imparts light Himself without sun and without moon. In Jewish reckoning... The day begins at what? Sunset or sunup? Sunset. The Jewish day begins at sunset because it all goes back to the creation story. You know, if you're visiting with Jewish people or you're in Israel and, and the day starts with sunset and we're thinking, well, that doesn't make any sense. And they'll say, no, your, your counting doesn't make any sense. Ours is based on the Bible, which says... That darkness was followed by what? By light. That makes sense. God then looks at what He's done and He says, It's good. It's good. God admires His handiwork. It is good and it is perfect. And, by the way, in these verses begins a motif of Scripture that will go all the way through the end of the Bible. And that's the motif of darkness... And light. And they are mutually exclusive realms. Ultimately, Christ will bring eternal light to his people and to all of creation. So, if you know your Bible, you know there's a whole lot about light and darkness all the way through the end of the Bible. Now, that's really it for today. Um, we've got day two and three. And then Christ in creation, we'll cover those next time and move on 
uh, move on beyond that. Now, um, I, I'm well aware that we are camping out in, in chapter 1, so somebody, some of you are thinking, 50 chapters... I'm not sure that I will live long enough to see the pastor finish Genesis. And the pastor's not even sure he'll live long enough to finish it. But we will accelerate. But you can't, goodness gracious, you can't accelerate by the creation story. It's so foundational to everything that we believe and and who we are. So we're going slow, but we'll pick up the pace a little bit as we get farther into the book. I hope to see you next Wednesday. Same time, same place, and with another great lunch. I'm confident of that. Father, thank you for the incredible story of your creation. It's utterly amazing. Thank you for the way in which your Spirit led Moses to pin it for us. We are in absolute awe, and we thank you. And we thank you that in the midst of all of this, that is described in Scripture, you would condescend to care about me and about everyone in this room. We are utterly amazed and we are oh so grateful and thankful. Thank you for moving in our lives. Thank you for drawing us to yourself through Jesus. As we leave today, may we be your faithful servants in all things. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.